Hello and welcome to the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saadeh. You're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. Thanks to Manny Mestas for that opening music and just a reminder that you can find the Radical News Radio Hour on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at C Miriam, that's C M I R I A M. And you can listen to previously aired episodes on Spotify, Google Podcasts, amongst many other podcast sites. You can also reach our show at radicalnewsradiohour at gmail.com with tips, recommendations, and any questions. On today's episode, we'll be discussing updates from the Minnesota State Legislature, which adjourned its second 2020 legislative session, sine die, on July 21st, having passed a modest police accountability package and having still not passed a bonding bill. Just a reminder, if you've got feedback on any story or story tip, please email us again. That's RadicalNewsRadioHour at gmail.com. Police accountability has been a major priority of the Minnesota House this summer. By early Tuesday morning, both the House and the Senate had passed a slimmed-down police accountability package that was originally proposed by the Legislative um, Posse Caucus, that's People of Color and Indigenous. Um, We've got audio from the uptake with uh, Representative Carlos Mariani, who was speaking on the House floor late Monday night about the proposed legislation, naming the various aspects that were included in what was eventually the House and Senate compromise, though there were eventually a few amendments made on what he had discussed. Representative Mariani to the amendment. Senator Speaker, this amendment reflects the agreement uh, arrived at between the House in the Senate on House File 1, the the, uh, Minnesota Police Accountability Act. Um, And uh, I don't know whether I should just walk through the amendment at this point. I'll take your guidance. I think you could hit the bullet pointed list, Representative Mariani. Madam Speaker and members, I will do that. I had a much uh, more eloquent uh, sharing for everyone, but uh, given the lateness of the hour, I'm going to skip that um, at this point. Uh, Madam Speaker and members, uh, we passed a pretty big bill, um, and uh, so there was plenty of, of work for us to chew on uh, with the Senate. But we've come to agreement are in several areas. One is to be able to improve uh, improve our stress and trauma resources for our emergency service providers. Uh, There is also an agreement to have a uh, BCA independent investigatory uh, unit that would investigate um, uh, officer-involved deaths. There is also a uh, police residency reform that authorizes incentives for residencies by locals for their uh, peace officers. There is a prohibition of the use of of chokeholds and other uh, restraints um, uh, methods uh, that is uh, enforced uh, within our criminal code. Uh, there is a mandatory reporting to the BCA for use of force uh, incidents. This follows the uh, parameters of the FBI and their request for that information. So it's good to have that 
uh, collection of information centralized at the BCA. There are two uh, public members that are added. Uh, so these are general public members that are added to the Pulse Board, which is our state licensing uh, board for peace officers. There's also a expansion on that board of the Complaint Investigation Committee uh, that makes it possible for there to be um, uh, four, uh, rather five members, uh, but includes a general public uh, member. And so for the first time we're requiring inclusion of a general public member on that committee, which um, uh, reviews uh, licensure uh, uh, issues, including uh, disciplinary actions. There's a prohibition and a definition of warrior style uh, training, uh, no reimbursements uh, to law enforcement officers uh, or to uh, entities um, um, and uh, no uh, uh, credits extended uh, for that type uh, of training. There's the creation of a community relations advisory council inside uh, the post board. This is a critically important step that ensures that there is a strong uh, regular community uh, presence in the post board itself, uh, working alongside law enforcement officers in order to provide um, uh, advice uh, on interventions as well as policy for uh, enhancing community relations uh, uh, through the licensing board. Uh, there is a requirement uh, for um, uh, law enforcement uh, chiefs to submit data to the post board to create a um, contribute to a centralized uh, database that then is used by that council as well as by the board to inform their decisions in terms of intervening with officers uh, who are uh, likely uh, to violate uh, policies uh, inherent uh, in the licensing structure uh, of the board. Uh, members will remember that uh, the particular uh, officer being charged with the killing of George uh, Floyd uh, was in possession of at least 18, 19 major complaints. And so the idea here, members, is to be able to have a system in place that can identify early and can intervene uh, at whatever level uh, early. There's a requirement uh, from the Post Board to update its model use of force policy uh, to reflect statutory uh, changes. Uh, there's authority for the Board to ensure compliance uh, by all law enforcement entities uh, in adopting uh, uh, use of force uh, models consistent uh, with the Post Board. Um, there's a uh, crisis intervention and mental illness crisis training uh, enhancements and, and requirements. Uh, the board's directed also to evaluate the effectiveness of those trainings. Uh, we've been investing in those training dollars for a number of years with no expectation uh, and no direction of the part of the legislature for an evaluation of the investment of the taxpayers' dollars in those, in those trainings. There are autism uh, training requirements. There is a statutory duty for officers to intercede and to also report excessive use of force in the event that they're uh, involved in an incident where there is a, uh, a violation uh, of law that uh, could lead to uh, wrongful death uh, of, of uh, citizens. There is arbitration reform um, in the um, um, 
uh, in, in, in the bill, uh, which uh, create, uh, eliminates the incentives uh, that are currently within the systems that make it very difficult for either uh, the complainant or the defendant, so in this case that would be police officer, him or herself, uh, to be able to ensure that the decisions uh, are mediated in a way consistent with the facts uh, of the matter. Uh, there is an extension uh, of the sunset uh, for the training dollars, but only for uh, two years. Uh, and again, uh, based on an evaluation uh, effort uh, of those training dollars, as well as a certification by the post board that uh, certain training uh, be done by qualified individuals uh, and entities in regards to de-escalation de efforts, uh, policing uh, in issues of mental uh, illness, and then also uh, training in cultural diversity and implicit bias. Um, then there are uh, uh, several appropriations that, that match up with the policy directions, uh, Madam Speaker, and there are amendments uh, to some of these uh, as well in the sense. So that's a, a very quick uh, wrap up uh, of the agreement uh, that we've reached over a course of eight very long uh, days, but quite frankly, weeks prior to that, um, uh, following the last special session. That was Representative Carlos Mariani speaking on the House floor Monday night. Responses to the legislation were mixed, with some concern that the bill would not go far enough, while others congratulated the Posse Caucus for moving the legislation forward, thanks to the uptake for that audio. You can participate in the discussion on police accountability, by the way, by tweeting me at CMiriam. And you just a reminder that you're listening to the Radical News Radio Hour on WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. Unlike police accountability, the legislature failed to once again pass a bonding bill. Here's Ileana Mejia. Um, who is a community leader who does policy organizing. Um, Ileana dis is going to discuss the equity implications of the failed bonding bill in this next. Um, so the legislature ended without passing a bonding bill, and you've talked at length on this episode before about what those equity implications are. Can you talk about what the fact that the bonding bill didn't pass is going to mean for historically marginalized communities? Yeah. So I'm sad that this bonding bill did not pass because I thought it was a great last bonding bill, if you will. Um, and I'll get into why I say last one <laughs> in a little bit, but this bonding bill had about um, $30 million um, in bonding funds to BIPOC-led community uh, organizations um, who primarily serve BIPOC uh, folks. And so it also had about 114, or I'm sorry, $116 million for affordable housing, um, which again is extremely important. It's something we are needing, um, especially as we see what's happening in Powderhorn Park, um, you know, a few days ago. So um, it had those two um, provisions in there related to cash or related to bonding money, I should say. Um, and then it also had two other very important provisions related to equity. Um, so the first one is that it had equal pay so that um, there's no, you know, discrepancies in paying uh, folks, you know, but, you know, you know, the 
the wage gap exists between um, men and women, especially women of color, um, compared to the white man. And so um, there was a provision in there to ensure um, pay equity. And there is a second provision in there to ensure that contractors who are doing work with the state um, related to the bonding project, that they uh, reach out and hire um, POC, people of color, and women for their construction projects. You know, it's a historically um, white males uh, industry. And so this provision is really encouraging contractors to um, reach out and hire, um, you know, black and brown folks to do their work and also, um, or to, to work, and then also uh, women as well. So when you have this like great bonding bill that, you know, these provisions did not exist in the previous bonding bills, it's, you want it to pass, right? Because this is going to be great. It's going to help BIPOC communities, marginalized communities. Um, and so if it doesn't pass, the result is that nothing changes. There's no money going to, you know, the Hmong American Farmers Association. There's no money going to um, juxtaposition arts. And so I think it just kind of exact, exact, you're going to have to help me with this word. I can never say exact, it, but I love exasperating. it. Yeah, thank you. Exact, exact. I hate the word too. I know, <laughs> but it, it just really kind of, you know, exacerbates <laughs> the issues more of, of equity because, you know, we know that bonding is such a secret handshake. And so for these organizations to have their project in the bonding bill that's huge and and it's not you know it's it's not equitable to exclude them and you know this happened the bonding bill did not pass because of politics mm -hmm. and that's very unfortunate um, because it's not fair to those communities who have nothing to do with this you know the house republicans say that they were left out of negotiations which it whatever side you're on that that's you know, like not being part of negotiations, knowing that your caucus has to be um, present and to vote for the bonding bill in order for it to pass, you know, because you need the supermajority. Um, so, you know, it's just, it is, it is what it is. It's, it's the state of Minnesota, right? It's that Minnesota paradox. It's like, wow, we're such a great state to, you know, for education and jobs and houses and all of this stuff, but then you're talking about white Minnesotans, you're not talking about black and brown Minnesotans and other marginalized communities. And so it kind of goes like hand in hand. It's like, wow, we really had something great um, in writing for communities that have been historically left out. And then, you know, nothing happens with it. It doesn't pass because of politics. It doesn't pass because someone was upset two projects were in the bonding bill they didn't like. It's 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 just not fair. And um I, I think it's definitely toxic when you think about um the implications of it, you know. And it mm -hmm. also makes people feel like they can't trust the government because, you know, some organizations wait years for this money, as I had said, um, I think in my last answer, it's just so it's just kind of like, oh, cool, like we, you know, you you let us on and then this didn't happen. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's a lot of distrust there. So it's unfortunate. Lots of change needs to happen so that, you know, you know, this doesn't happen again. You know, if two projects aren't in there that you don't like, you're really going to bag the whole bonding bill because of that. You know, it's just not fair. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much.
in our interview with Ileana, which was rife with technical difficulties, um, Ileana also discussed what people can do to advocate for a bonding bill and to talk a little bit about the future of what that bonding bill is. Um, you know, continue talking with friends and family and everyone in your circle, reaching out to your legislator. You know, you could probably research some things on your own as well. Um, but just being part of the conversations, even going to capital investment committee hearings, you know, reaching out to the committee chairs and people on the committees. Um, and I know that it's a lot of you having to do the work um, in order to get what, you know, some information on, you know, topic or you having to reach out to them to tell them why you think the project is good. It's, again, that's not an equitable piece. That's not, it's not an equitable piece. It's, it's not um, a fun part of the process, but currently that's how it is. And so I would encourage people to reach out to the legislators and find out more about bonding. Um, you know, send an email to your legislator, letting them know you're there and what you feel. Um, I think they appreciate that a lot because they want to hear from their constituents. And also, um, I just thought of this, but you could also probably probably reach out to the nonprofits that applied for bonding money. Um, you know, there's the link of who, of which organizations got what. So maybe you could reach out to them and start a conversation. How did you get bonding money? Like, how did you start this process? Like, who helped you? Which legislators did you talk to? Stuff like that. So. <laughs> Thanks to Ileana for speaking with us today. I'm so grateful she was able to speak with us and for her partnership and her leadership in this work. Uh, we'll be excited to have her back on in the future to continue discussing the legislative session and for us to continue raising the voices of women of color who are doing this important work. Just a few announcements. Tonight, The Uptake, where I'm executive director, is gonna be hosting a community journalism training from 5 to 7 p.m. online. You can check out the Facebook page for additional details. Additional trainings will also be announced soon. This week, three nonprofits that host job boards, the Minnesota Council of Nonprofits, Springboard Arts, and Pollen Midwest committed to ensuring that all posted jobs must include listed salaries as a means of working um, towards pay equity. So. It's really good on all of them, and I recommend you look into the work that they're doing. On July 24, tomorrow, from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m., there will be a march for those who were not filmed, beginning at Muller Park. Um, the event is hosted by Twin Cities Coalition for Justice for Jamar and Care Minnesota. More details are available on Facebook. Finally, tonight at 7 p.m., there will be an online discussion and rally of sorts for Palestine. The event, which is called From Minneapolis to Palestine, Resistance to Apartheid, Occupation and Police Brutality, will be broadcast on Facebook Live and is hosted by the Anti-War Committee with support from a whole bunch of organizations, including AMP Minnesota, CARE Minnesota, Twin Cities Coalition for Justice for Jamar, Justice for Isaac, USPCN, and Women Against Military Madness. On next week's episode, we'll be talking about climate change and environmental justice. So please send me any story ideas or tips or information that interests you there. We would love to include it. And for now, thank you for listening to the Radical News Radio Hour. You can reach us at radicalnewsradiohour at gmail.com. You can find us at journalismofcolor.com. And you can listen to all episodes of this show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, and several other podcast platforms. 
Many thanks to Manny Mestis for this episode's opening and closing theme music. And for now, you're listening to WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown, Community Radio, 94.1 FM.